I invite you to open with me in the scriptures now to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 8, verses uh, 1 through 13, Revelation chapter 8. We're going to consider this chapter uh, in its entirety. A little earlier before the service when I was giving uh, a couple of introductions, I failed to mention at that time, it's a joy to have uh, Brett and Laura Jenkins with us uh, today as well. Brett served for a number of years as a deacon in this congregation and currently is a ruling elder at our sister church, Trinity uh, Presbyterian Church in Providence, and it's great to have Brett and Laura worshiping alongside of uh, us uh, today as well. Um, Revelation uh, chapter 8. Um, before we read this, allow me to give a little bit of context. Uh, with the beginning of these verses, uh, we come really to the third major section, the third out of seven sections uh, in the book of uh, Revelation. Uh, the first three chapters of Revelation uh, consisted in large measure of the letters to the seven churches that were given by the risen and ascended Christ a Christ who walked among the lampstands and who gave extraordinary promises of future glory to those that would conquer. And then in Revelation chapter 4 through 7, uh, we had this glorious heavenly vision of the ruling and reigning Lord Jesus. And also a seal, uh, seven seals, which needed to be broken on a scroll. Those seals were broken one after another, and they revealed for us God's purposes through human history, along with the assurance that God's people are sealed by him. That is, they are safe and secure uh, in, uh, the, under the protection of Almighty God, and shall one day, as Ricardo preached to us last week, shall enjoy heavenly glory. Uh, Well, now with Revelation chapter 8, we are going to have a revealing for us of the trumpets. Uh, The beginning of Revelation 8, the seventh seal is going to be broken, but then that seventh seal is going to lead us, not necessarily immediately to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but rather to the blasting of seven different trumpets. Now, these trumpets don't occur subsequent to the seals, but rather in the kind of cyclical nature of the book of Revelation, what is being revealed by these trumpets is really many of the same things that are revealed by the seals and will later be revealed by uh, the bulls. Uh, They recapitulate, as it were, what these others have unveiled, but with added detail and intensity. Just to give you an illustration of this, uh, I'm a golf fan. Yes, currently the British Open is going on. Yesterday, Rory McIlroy holed out from a bunker on the 10th hole. It was an extraordinary shot. Well, when you watch that shot live, the cameras followed his swing, and then the ball, as it emerged from the bunker, hit the green and rolled into the cup. Well, then, to add a little uh, additional uh, excitement about what just happened, they showed you the exact same event, but this time with the camera focused on Rory McIlroy's face, where you were able to gauge his reaction. But then they showed you the exact same event a third time, but this time the cameras were on the surrounding crowd. 
And you could see them as they peered at that ball uh, rolling towards the cup, and then suddenly an explosion of joy as they celebrated uh, that shot. Same event, three different camera angles focusing on different perspectives. And it's that kind of thing that the book of Revelation does. It shows us the glory of the risen and ascended Christ, of his control over all history, of his soon return. But it, it touches on this from different angles, from different perspectives, giving us a different focus. And that's what we have going on here in the seven uh, trumpets. So these seven trumpets that we're going to see revealed over the next few weeks together are uh, really show us God's control over all human history. They're going to reveal what God is doing in this world between the first and second comings of our Lord Jesus Christ. These are not specific events that are yet to happen in the future that we need to try to match up. This world event goes exactly with this trumpet or something like that. Rather, it just reveals for us God's uh, larger uh, purposes. Well, with that in mind, uh, let's now read from God's word. We're going to read Revelation chapter 8 in its entirety. Well, when the Lamb opened the seventh seal... There was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. And then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. Uh, The first angel blew his trumpet and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. And these were thrown upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up and a third of the trees were burned up and all green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became wormwood, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. And then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blasts of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. And this ends this reading in God's uh, holy word. Let's look to the Lord together in prayer. Lord, our God, this is your holy and powerful word. Amidst this confusing world, we thank you that we have a sure and certain word from the God of heaven. 
And Lord, we pray that this word would fall upon ears that are eager to hear and to apply the things that you have told us. Especially glorify your Son, the crucified, risen, and ascended Lord Jesus, who is King of the nations, and who is our uh, uh, present and coming King as well. O Lord, our God, bless this continued worship, for we pray all of these things now in Jesus' name. Uh, Amen. Well, you and I appreciate uh, warning signals. Uh, In the uh, relatively uh, new minivan uh, that we obtained last year, if you drive too close to another vehicle that is Uh, coming before you, suddenly you hear a beeping and large letters that says break in front of you. It's a warning signal so as not to be in danger. Uh, Similarly, uh, uh, if you were to go into a hospital, be admitted into the hospital and you're uh, hooked up to an IV and all of the rest and uh, they have all of these machines that are uh, telling you, that are measuring your blood pressure every so often and the amount of oxygen that you're getting. And the nurses are going to be alerted. They're going to be warned if something isn't right so they can do something about it. Uh, similarly, we have fire alarms or carbon monoxide alarms that alert us if we are uh, in danger. Uh, If you go to a crosswalk, some crosswalks that are especially dangerous will have lights that light up and tell you that somebody is about to cross. You need to stop the car. Uh, In each of these cases, and in many others, there are warning signals that are given so that we might avoid danger. Well, our Lord God gives us warning signals about the coming day of judgment about that day of judgment when the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return on the clouds of heaven and that all who have not submitted themselves in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ are going to experience eternal judgment and the fires of hell. The Lord God, before that time, gives us warning signals that such a day of judgment is coming. That's what these trumpet blasts that are found in Revelation 8 and 9, are all, are, are all about. Uh, you can even think in the Old Testament, can't you, of another incident where there were trumpets. That is, when the people of Israel were marching around the city of uh, Jericho, the priests uh, leading the way around, uh, around the, uh, uh, the Ark of God, and they were carrying with them uh, ram's horns. And each day as they marched around the city of Jericho, it was a warning that judgment was soon going to come upon that city. And then on that seventh day, when they marched not once or twice, but seven times around the city, then, then those trumpet blasts were sounded. Judgment now was here. And the shout went up, and God acted in a mighty way, and the walls of Jericho fell down. Well, the book of Revelation says that much like that trumpet blast was given to the city of Jericho, so there are trumpet blasts even today to declare the mighty judging activity of our great and glorious God. Well, I want us to look at this chapter today and try to unpack its meaning and understand these warning signals uh, by looking at this passage under two different headings. 
Uh, the first of them is this. We are going to see trumpet blasts that are preceded by the prayers of God's people. Trumpet blasts preceded by the prayers of God's people. And then secondly, we're going to see trumpet blasts warning of the coming judgment. Trumpet blasts that are warning of the coming judgment. Well, first of all, out of this passage, let's consider trumpet blasts that are preceded by the prayers of God's people. Uh, In the first five verses of Revelation 8, we see these things. Verse 1, at this point, we're told that the Lamb opens the seventh seal. Six seals had been opened before, uh, you'll remember. But now at the opening of the seventh seal, there is suddenly we might even say, a kind of deafening silence in heaven for about half an hour. There had just appeared to John's vision all of the varied activity of the opening of these other seals and of the glories of uh, of heaven that yet awaited. But now as the Lamb opens this seventh seal, suddenly everywhere there is silence. And this silence surely indicates something of the awe and the fearfulness of this great God. One commentator, William Hendrickson, says this, that so fearful and awful is even this initial retribution which is about to be inflicted upon the wicked that the inhabitants of heaven stand spellbound, lost for a long time, half an hour, in breathless, silent amazement. And so there is this silence. But then, in verse 3, suddenly the vision picks up again. And there John sees an angel. An angel that comes and stands at an altar with a a golden censer. And he was given incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And so what is pictured here? as the purposes of God for history are unfolded, are the prayers, it says, not just of one or of two, but of all the saints that are being offered up before God. And you think of it. Prayers that are being offered throughout all of human history among uh, the saints in the early church, or those who were faithful in the times of the medieval church, or at the time of the Reformation, or in the age in which we live. Saints from Africa and from China, saints from the Americas and from Brazil, saints from the various countries of Europe, uh, all of these saints offering up prayers and petitions and thanksgivings to the Lord God Almighty. And here the picture is of all of these saints being, or all of these prayers being offered up to Almighty God. But these prayers, you'll notice, are not offered alone. But rather we're told that this angel offers them with a golden censer and much incense on the golden altar before the throne. Verse 4, the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rising before God from the hand of the angel. What's this referring to? Well, uh, the imagery here is that of really the Day of Atonement that we would find in Leviticus Uh, chapter 16 and verses 12 and 13. And there in Leviticus chapter uh, 16 and verse 12, uh, we are told there that on that once per year ritual of the Day of Atonement, that Aaron the high priest 
shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord, and two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small, and he shall bring it inside the veil, and put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony, so that he does not die. So the image really is that of two different altars. The one altar, the brazen altar, upon which blood sacrifices were offered. And there with the fire of that altar, incense is then taken, and it's taken inside the veil into this other golden altar where the presence of God is. The incense is burned, and the aroma Uh, that sweet-smelling aroma goes up before the Lord. And friends, the imagery is very clear what all of that represents. Those sacrifices, of course, are sacrifices that are fulfilled in the once-for-all sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. The incense is a picture, friends, of Christ's intercessory work based upon his once-for-all sacrifice. The Lord Jesus, the perfect Son of God, now prays and intercedes for each one of us. And so as we turn now to Revelation chapter 8, the image here is not just of the Lord's praying people, but it's the Lord's praying people along with the Lord Jesus Christ interceding for us. It's a picture of our prayers, but our prayers being offered not on our own merit, but because of the merit of the sinless Son of God. He perfecting our prayers. Our prayers ascending into the very presence of God. Hebrews 7.25, He ever lives, we're told, to intercede uh, for us. It's a beautiful picture uh, indeed. Uh, Because you and I, dear friends, while we pray to the Lord, nonetheless our prayers are so often uh, tainted by our own sinfulness. Uh, They are selfish. Uh, We often don't pray for the things that we ought to pray for. We often don't pray for things with the kind of earnestness or the kind of frequency with which we ought to pray. Our prayers are often defective. They are offered with little faith. They are often foolishly expressed. But here the promise is that as we pray, as we are among all of those saints that pray, that those prayers are being attended, as it were, by the incense of Christ's perfect intercession for us, And as he intercedes, our prayers are going up and they are both heard and accepted by Almighty God. Listen to what one uh, 19th century Presbyterian pastor, uh, 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 listen to how he says it. He says it this way. He says that our prayers do not go up by themselves. That they can only be carried up by the incense that is offered upon the golden altar and kindled by the fire from the altar of atonement. The prayers of the saints can ascend only as embodied in the intercessions of their great high priest and resting on the merits of his atoning sacrifice. This is the secret of their power. They are the cry of his redeemed. 
his redeemed are one with him. He makes their needs his own. They are his body. And what they cry for, he demands. And the fire of his atoning sacrifice carries the demand before the throne and secures to its accomplishment all the power of that throne. It's a beautiful picture that when you and I pray, that our prayers are being perfected even by the intercessory work of our Lord Jesus Christ. But dear friends, then as our prayers are perfected by his intercessory work, it means then as well that our prayers are being powerful and effective. How interesting it is that amidst uh, the revelation of these seals and then of these trumpet blasts of Almighty God, which signal the great and mighty works of God in human history, how interesting it is that in the midst of this, it mentions the prayers of God's people. And friends, it is when the prayers of God's people are offered, attended by the intercessory work of our Lord Jesus Christ, that then, using those prayers, that God acts and acts in power. Our prayers in God's purposes play a vital part in bringing the judgments of God and ultimately in ushering in the kingdom of God. Do you notice that? That the very censer, the very censer which is used by this angel to convey our prayers to God, then as soon as those prayers are offered, verse 5, that censer then is filled with fire from the altar and thrown on the earth where there are peals of thunder, rumblings, flashings of lightning, and an earthquake. Rick Phillips puts it this way. He says that prayer is the means by which God accomplishes his purpose in history. Uh, You know, sometimes uh, we think that either God is sovereign in his work or that he uses our prayers. And the answer of scripture is that both of those things are true. That the God who works in all sovereignty and ordains all of the ends that he is going to accomplish is the God who uses the means of his people's prayer to sovereignly accomplish those ends. The Lord uses prayer. And so this means that you and I must pray and must realize that prayer is one of the most important things that you and I can do. God advances his purposes in the world often through the prayers of his people. By prayer, God overthrows governments. He confounds wickedness. He delivers his people. And this is why when the church has been most active and most effective in the world, it has been deeply engaged in the work of prayer. So Acts chapter 1, what do we see? We see the disciples in that uh, upper room uh, huddled uh, together ten days uh, for ten days praying before the Lord. And after their prayers, the Spirit then was poured out upon his people on that day of Pentecost. Or Acts chapter uh, 12, after uh, King Herod killed James, 
And they were the darkest days which the church had yet experienced. Herod then took Peter and threw him in prison. And it looked like that all of the chief and leading apostles of the church were going to be gathered up and killed. And this early Christian movement was going to be stamped out. What did the disciples do at that time? They met and they prayed. And what did God do? Well, he sent an angel to that prison. And Peter was miraculously uh, delivered. And the church was spared. And soon after that, it was actually Herod himself, who in all the uh, uh, vain uh, pomposity of his pride and boastful arrogance, was brought down and was killed. How? Through the, what weapons, what instruments did the church use? It was that of prayer. So do you see that as we live in this world and witness the work of God across this world, friends, we dare not neglect the work of prayer in your own life personally. One of the most important things that you can do every day is pray to the Lord. Do you have set times of prayer where you are praising him and where you are praying uh, both for individual concerns but also for larger kingdom concerns? Are you praying for the work of missionaries, for the success of the gospel? Are you praying that in countries like uh, North Korea or in uh, China or in Saudi Arabia, that there would be a freedom given to the expression of the gospel? Are you praying that the Lord will uphold his persecuted people throughout the world? Are you praying that the gospel will take root amidst this next secular generation in our own nation where we grow up? Are you praying for these things? The Lord works through prayers. He does. He does. And similarly, in the life of the church, corporate prayer is one of the most important things that we do. When we come together for worship on the Lord's Day, there's prayer. And we do it not out of just mere ritual. We do it because we are calling upon the God of heaven and he uses the prayers of his people. The elder leading or the pastor leading is merely the voice, merely the mouth of the whole congregation offering up our earnest prayers and desires unto God. And God hears and he accepts these prayers as a sweet-smelling aroma. When we gather together on a Wednesday night and we pray to the Lord, how, what important work is being done in this room? What kingdom work? It's, the, it's, 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 I dare say, the most important work that is being done in the entire city of Springfield and its surrounding regions. It's when Christians are gathering together and calling upon the Lord of heaven to act. We're praying. And we ought to pray. Do you see, prayers proceed. The prayers of God's people are what are preceding these trumpet blasts. Let's pray big prayers to the God of heaven. Well, let's move on from this point. That's the first thing to notice. That the trumpet blasts are preceded by the prayers of God's people. Let's be a praying people. But secondly, now, let's see that the trumpet blasts warn of coming judgment. The trumpet blasts warn of coming uh, judgment. So verse 5, the angel had taken the censer, filled it with fire, threw it on the earth, peals of thunder, rumblings, flashings of lightning, an earthquake. God is at work. And now the ways in which God is at work are open now in the seven trumpets, beginning in verse 6. 
And we're told about the first four of the trumpets uh, in the remainder of this chapter. Uh, Four different trumpet uh, blasts. Now, interesting, these trumpet uh, blasts are going to bring about certain plagues that are reminiscent of the plagues upon Egypt. Uh, But just as God showed his mighty power in the judgment of the Egyptians, so he continues to show his power against ungodly and idolatrous people uh, today. Well, how are we to interpret these various judgments, these four trumpet blasts that we read from verses 7 through 12? Well, I think one uh, very valid way of interpreting them is that they are speaking of economic, ecological, industrial, natural disasters that are happening on the earth. A variety of, as I said, economic, ecological, industrial, and natural disasters uh, on the earth. Uh, There in verse 7, the first angel blows his trumpet, and we're told of hail and fire mixed with blood that are thrown upon the earth portion of the earth burned up, trees burned up, grass burned up. And this is speaking here of various disasters that will take place on the land. And we can say that throughout human history, there have been things like forest fires, or there have been tornadoes that have wreaked havoc in their path. Uh, there has been the loss, of, uh, uh, the loss of land and the loss of life and a variety of other things as well that have wreaked that kind of havoc in the world in which we live. That's the first trumpet. The second trumpet speaks then of various disasters that are taking place on the sea. Okay, when it says that uh, something like a green mountain burning with fire was then thrown into the sea, a third of the sea became uh, blood, a third of the living creatures in the sea died, a third of their ships were, uh, were destroyed. Uh, The sea is obviously something that's very important. The sea is teeming with life. We depend upon the sea for food and for trade and commerce and travel as well. But here it's saying that the sea as well is going to be uh, impacted. Uh, Hurricanes and tsunamis, uh, naval battles that take place on the sea, environmental destruction that brings an end to certain forms of animal uh, life. Uh, these are various ways in which uh, there is destruction that is brought on the sea. Uh, the third trumpet then speaks of inland waters that are being poisoned. A star falling from heaven, blazing like a torch, falling on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The star is named Wormwood, which means bitterness. And uh, a third of the waters became Wormwood, and people died from the water because it had been made bitter. And this is speaking even about the source of natural drinkable water becoming poison. Where there is a lack of water, it brings destruction and death in its uh, path. And it is uh, that water that is often the judgment of God. Similarly, we might speak of floods and of the kind of destruction that occurs uh, at times of floods as well. The fourth trumpet goes on to speak of heavenly bodies, of the sun and moon and the stars and uh, darkness occurring uh, there. And uh, and this is speaking of an interruption, as it were, in the skies as well. You go into the furthest heavens, into, 
into the, into the skies, and even there the Lord is sovereign and in control, and it might refer just to various kinds of darkness that can be brought on God's enemies uh, anywhere and any time. You remember the ninth plague against Egypt, the plague of darkness. And so certainly these trumpets can refer to various uh, kinds of disasters, whether economic or natural disasters and such things that occur throughout the whole course of human history. God is at work bringing judgment in these ways. But other commentators have suggested as well, and I think there's perhaps validity to this also, that this is maybe as well speaking of judgments on nations. Uh, that these words are symbols which speaks of God's judgment on nations. Let me quote one older writer. Uh, he says that uh, in the Old Testament that storm images can symbolize historical judgments against nations. That the fall of a mountain into the sea is a symbol of national calamity. Psalm 46, verse 2. That blowing trumpets, casting down mountains, and throwing a rock into the sea are images of the overthrow of Babylon. And there he references different verses out of Jeremiah 51. That forcing people to drink bitterness or wormwood signifies bitter experiences like invasion, defeat, and exile. That the sun and moon struck with darkness can be a sign of conquest by a foreign power. In other words, what these trumpets are speaking of symbolically are the overthrow of whole nations. So that might be the case as well. Well, yet somebody else notes uh, that in many ways these trumpet uh, destructions as well are those which can reveal the emptiness of some of our idolatries. Okay? That is, that those who make an idol of the earth and who depend on this earth to sustain and satisfy them discover with the first trumpet that it is limited in its ability to do so. That with the second trumpet, that that is a picture of the great kingdoms of the world that come crashing down like this mountain, destroying the lives and livelihoods of those who lived in them. So if you are putting your hope in any earthly kingdom or any political kingdom, it also will fail. Uh, the, third, uh, the third trumpet is like this great star that is uh, falling uh, from, from heaven. And there, this, this trumpet demonstrates that the very things that this world, in this world that people consume, that they expect to be life-giving, like the water that's expressed here, that whatever those things are, whether it's popularity or certain kinds of sports or hobbies or academics or any such thing, that whatever it is that they consume, that they expect to be life-giving, actually ends up poisoning them. And the fourth trumpet, in which the, uh, the lights of the heavens are partially darkened, uh, this writer says that that's a picture of the failure of this world's wisdom and spirituality to truly enlighten. A picture of people going about their lives in darkness without the ability to see what is true and right and good, as well as who is, tr- who is true and right and good. So, dear friends, we see that in a whole variety of ways, uh, 
that these trumpets are trumpet blasts of God's judgment, temporal judgments in this world, showing the vanity of our idolatries, showing the upheaval of kingdoms, showing the instability of life in this world. And if you are putting any of your trust in these things, God is trumpeting out to you today that that ultimately will fail. And so verse 13 depicts then an eagle that is warning us with a loud voice of coming catastrophe. Woe, 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 three times. Woe to those who dwell on the earth, not only at these blasts, but at the other blasts uh, to come. Let me just uh, note a few other things about these, about these trumpet blasts. Uh, one of them is to simply note that these judgments that God gives are judgments of a good God. A lot of people like the idea of a God of love, but they don't want a God of judgment. And what the book of Revelation paints for us is that if you are to worship God in all of his glory, the God of Revelation chapter 4 and 5, who is the God of glorious salvation, the, Revel- the God of Revelation chapter 7 that Ricardo preached to us last week, the God who dwells in heaven with his redeemed people and is the shepherd of those people, this same God is also a God who is glorious in judgment. And that's a good thing, friends, that we have a God who doesn't simply turn the other eye to evil and wickedness and sin. We don't, have, we don't serve a God who is unable to deal effectively with the rebellion of this world. But we have a God who is infinitely holy, who, is move, who moves against sin and against evil, who does not tolerated and is not indifferent to it, but a God of holiness who responds to the sin and to the wickedness that is in this present world. These judgments are the judgments of a good God. But notice as well, friends, from these trumpets, that God sends many partial provisional judgments we might say warnings, before the day of final judgment. In other words, you and I live in a world where God is constantly sending out the trumpet blast, I am here, I am at work, I am a God who judges. With every natural disaster that comes, with every sickness that lays a person low, okay, with every financial hardship, with every economic downturn, with every wicked ruler who raises himself up and then is brought low by the hand of of Almighty God. In all of these ways, God is announcing his presence. He is here. Now, friends, so far these calamities are limited some things are still spared. Do you notice that language of a third over and over again? It was a third, a third, a third, a third. And this is going to be in contrast to the later bold judgments that we're going to see in the book of Revelation that are going to be thoroughly devastating. 
The idea is, is that God time and again is warning us of his wrath. The final judgment is not here yet. It's going to be much worse than anything that you have seen. The devastation is going to be far more complete. But notice the ways that God is working in this world. He is a God who judges. And so notice this as well, that these judgments then teach us that the only way of escape is in the way of repentance and faith. The only way of escape. Where else will you escape this judging hand of Almighty God? Do you see these trumpet blasts? One concerned the earth, the other concerned the seas and oceans, the other concerned the the streams and rivers, the other concerned the skies. Do you have anywhere else that you're planning to go to escape these things? The point is, wherever you go, God is there. He's there as the moral judge of this universe. And you cannot escape it. There's nowhere that you can go, no matter how high and mighty you are, no matter the amount of money you have in your bank account, no matter the talents and abilities that you own, none of that will escape, will cause you to escape the day of judgment. There's only one way of escape. Friends, that way of escape is in the way of repentance and faith. For the same God who sends these judgments is the same God who in Jesus Christ says, The poor, weary sinners, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That in Jesus Christ, you will find a place of protection from the judgment of God, a place of solace and peace amidst the storm. You will find a God of love and of care and of protection. A God who loves sinners so much that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to bear that final judgment that you and I deserve and to bear it in our place. Friends, the God who sends judgment is also the God of salvation. And he says, look to him in faith. Won't you do that? Won't you look to this glorious king in faith? Let me just finish our sermon just with a couple of additional points of application. The first point of application is this. It is that we, friends, as Christians, we need to be loving heralds that warn others about future judgment. We need to be loving heralds that warn others about a judgment to come. That when you have a friend who is perhaps laid low by sickness or who has gone through a period of financial ruin or who's experiencing some other kind of life tragedy, maybe a friend who's gone through, who's experienced a a tornado or a hurricane or uh, some other national uh, kind of natural disaster. Friends, how, how should we respond to such people? How should we respond to those friends? We respond on the one hand with a heart full of compassion and love. We look for every, we sympathize with their loss. We ask for ways that we can help. But as well, we lovingly find ways to say to them, perhaps this is also a way that God is trying to get your attention. And God is getting our attention so that you might repent and believe the gospel. 
because there is coming a day of judgment. And you tell them, I, I'm saying this to you because I love you. And I want you to hear the warning because I love you. But there is coming a day of judgment that is going to be much worse than this. And I don't want you to experience that. And so, friends, in our evangelism and our witness to Christ, we need to be loving heralds of this future judgment that is coming. But the second thing I want to say to you who are Christians is this. It is that God is fulfilling his purposes in this world. That God is fulfilling his purposes in this world. You and I feel many times like we, we live in a world that is just going crazy. Everywhere we turn, there's a school shooting. The economy is tanking, and it seems that nobody knows the way out. People are being persecuted needlessly. There's a senseless war going on right now in Ukraine, an extraordinary suffering. It seems like we live in a crazy world. Dear friends, the Lord God is on his throne. The Lord Jesus rules and reigns, and he is working his purposes out even now in the midst of all this. Purposes of judgment, purposes of warning, purposes of salvation. He is building his church. He is redeeming his people. And we need to keep our eyes amidst all of this craziness focused on the God who rules and who reigns and not lose sight of him. Don't be driven this way and that way and driven into craziness yourself. Friends, we know who is on the throne He is sending his trumpet blasts out, and he is ruling. Keep our eyes focused on him. But then the third thing to say is this, is that the judgments of God are judgments that won't ultimately touch the believer. We talked about these trumpet blasts. Now, will the believer experience at times uh, sickness and illness and loss and death Will they go through times of natural disaster? Yes, they will, along with the rest of this world. But friends, when you and I experience those things, we don't experience them as the judgments of God. But you and I, if you are a believer, experience them under the safe, protecting hand of your loving Savior. And so amidst all of the disasters of this present world, remember that you are under the protecting hand of your God. Verse 13, it speaks, woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth. And in the book of Revelation, those who dwell on the earth is a way of speaking of those who are unbelievers, wicked, living contrary in rebellion to the living God. To them, it is woe, woe, woe. But to us who are believers, everything that we receive from the hand of God is from his hand of mercy. And it's a hand of blessing. And we can trust in him. Won't you continue to trust in this God? Let's pray together. Lord, our God in heaven, we thank you for this, your holy word. We thank you for the truth that it contains. And Lord, our God, we thank you that you rule and reign and that even now your trumpet blasts are being sent out throughout the world. We do pray, O Lord, that... None of us would be those who trust in earthly 
riches, earthly security, which ultimately does not keep safe and does not satisfy. But we do pray that we would be those who trust in the Lord God Almighty. Lord, if there be any here today who do not know you and are not trusting in you, we ask, Lord, that these would be, as it were, trumpet blasts to their own soul, and that they would bless you, O Lord, that this day you awaken them to the danger that they were in, and that they fled for safety, the only place of refuge, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do this, we pray. Bless our continued worship. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Uh, Amen. Well, we're going to sing now uh, to God's praise and glory. Our hymn is to him, Behold the Lamb. We're going to sing this in preparation for the Lord's table. Uh, We will sing stanzas one, two, and three.